the canine condition. Come, sit, stay. Welcome to season two of the Canine Condition Podcast. I am your host, Jackie Pignol. Each episode is a conversation with a trustworthy dog rescue organization or animal welfare advocate that will leave you inspired and empowered. This is the why, where, and how to adopt or help a canine family member. The goal is to save homeless dogs and set you up for success with information and resources to raise and keep a healthy and well-balanced dog. Embark on this journey with me, and let's save humans' best friend together. If dogs could think and speak like humans, what would your dog say about you or about other members of the family you live with? Would your dog or dogs express how happy, balanced, relaxed, and satisfied they are in their daily life? Or would your dog express feelings of frustration, anxiety, confusion, or maybe even disappointment because they expected more out of their humans and the life you lead together? Well, without saying a word or thinking like us because they can't, your dog is showing you signs and giving off energy that is communicating what they do think and feel about living with you on a daily basis. And if you find that there is needed harmony or that something is off and you don't quite know how to pinpoint what that is or how to make it better, then this episode is definitely for you or for someone you may know who is going through a similar situation with their canine companion. My guest on the podcast is Sasha Armstrong, founder of Canine State of Mind. For the past 15 years, Sasha has been transforming the lives of dogs and their families for the better. She is a world-renowned dog behaviorist who takes an unparalleled approach to modern dog training and boarding. After working with thousands of canines, Sasha developed a unique methodology. Her approach is rooted in canine psychology and human energetics. The process is guaranteed to produce results as long as the human commits to participating as much as their dog. Sasha also addresses undesirable dog behaviors such as anxiety, stress, excessive barking, reactivity, and agitation with a complete nutritional analysis of each and every dog she sees to ensure they receive the healthiest diet to support complete wellness. So without further ado, let's get the goods about canine state of mind. Welcome to the Canine Condition Podcast, Sasha. Thank you. Thank you. Such an honor to be here. It's so much fun to get to have this conversation about the canine state of mind. So starting with that, please tell us where you're located and how canine state of mind came to be. Absolutely. So I would say canine state of mind is located everywhere, right? It's, it's, a, <laughs> it's, it's, it's universal. Answer. It, it's universal. My hub is in Northwest Illinois. Um, I have a beautiful property and sanctuary space for dogs that mostly come to me in the, from the Midwest, uh, but um, I have dogs that travel from all over the world uh, that come to to have time and and really bask in that in that amazing environment, that ideal environment for them to thrive. So um, so that's where I'm based. But again, I, I travel all over the world doing my work. And I love that because the title Canine State of Mind makes me think that we are here to help the dogs be in their best environment and to be their best selves. So if they can be in their state of mind, it's almost like so the humans now have to learn how to work with that, how to communicate with that. Tell me about the experience of teaching the humans this part of the, your work. Mm, I love that so much. And that that is our really huge responsibility and gift, the greatest gift that we can give to our dogs is being able to channel and tap into their most beautiful, vast language and way of being. I mean, let's be honest, these dogs, these animals, they, they were the original teachers. They were the ones that honestly domesticated humans. So for us, now that we've brought them into our world, into our societies, into our communities, it is our utmost responsibility and should be an honor to be able to provide and give to them in all of the best ways that really are a priority for them. And I always say humans' priorities and our perception of what our dogs need and want 
is very different than what is so for them. Ah, that's a good point. Yeah, right. And and we get into the whole conversation about humanization and 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 really um, the detriment that is caused when we don't step outside of our human perception and perspective and and be able to literally stand back and observe. You know, a lot of how I what I ask my clients to do is step into the observer role and bring about a great awareness where you're actually attuned to how these these animals communicate in their most civilized and sophisticated way, right? Because they do. So for us to to, to sit, sit back, have a different angle and observe and watch, it's amazing how we're able to have a very different understanding of truly what is best for them and have a, um, a different lens, be able to see things through a different lens of, wow, that really wasn't what I thought it was, or that really wasn't what my dog needed in this moment, because the way that I reacted and responded reinforced that fear or reinforced that that behavior or really, you know, brought about an unstable uh, environment for the dog just based on the idea that that's what the human thought was the best way to approach versus what is best for the for the canine. Right. And one of the beautiful things I've I've read that you've said is that dogs don't communicate in English, they communicate in energy, which I love. I, to me, it's it's such a simple sentence, says so much. And I feel like a lot of pet parents don't get that. We m- immediately get, you know, all worked up in the emotion and we're like, why is it? Because I, I see it. I see it at the dog park. I, I see it everywhere sometimes. And I I'm not a dog trainer or a teacher, so I don't interject. But sometimes I go, oh, gosh, that person is just doing everything wrong. And they don't see that it's it's in, in us to change it right away. Do you see that a lot with clients? Do they come with frustrations of, I don't know how to handle this, and it's not working? And then you see it turn around because you teach them to read that energy? Yeah, yeah, always, always, 100% of the time. And it's not because the client is doing something wrong. It's because 99.9% of the information that's out there, whether it's articles or other trainers or YouTubes or books or training classes, are putting forth great misinformation. So what is out there as far as how to... This is not about training a dog. Who are we to train a dog? We need to start reframing our language around coexisting in extraordinary partnership with these sacred animals, with these great teachers. We have to start changing our language. We're here to learn with them. We're here to, to create a partnership that is rooted in trust and respect with willing cooperation. Training equals manipulation and control. And the only reason that people feel that they have to go there is because of what they've been taught, the old outdated ways of because we don't understand and because we don't understand how to communicate with a dog in a language that is natural and instinctual, we have this need to I have to to make it, I, I don't understand, so I have to control it, right? And I and I have to, I have to manipulate, I have to manipulate the situation. And so that's where people are completely disempowered. They don't, they feel like they've failed their dog. And it's not because when I, you, know, you see it everywhere, like you said, dog parks on the street, interacting with, you know, friends and colleagues. And, you know, I mean, it's everywhere. It's rampant. Yeah, it is. And the reason for that is because nobody understands how to, nobody's been educated on how to communicate with a dog in a language that is natural and instinctual. And when you look at what is provided, which is all verbal command-based obedience training, you know, it's like, it's all in an English language. It's all in a dialogue and through tactics that completely go against the natural organic flow of a dog. And so is it a wonder why we literally have complete communication breakdowns with all of our dogs and it manifests in 
so many ways. And so it all comes back to that, to that dogs don't, we, we have to be able to, to communicate with them in through the energy in a way that they understand. But we as humans have to align. We have to align in that first. We have to be that for ourselves first so that then that is what we can give to our dogs. And that shows up in every relationship that we have uh, interpersonally. Even meeting somebody at the grocery store, right? They're going to be able to, even if in a quick exchange, somebody that we interact with, if we're not accessing the best version of ourselves, that's what's going to be given to that person that we, right? That we have that. Good point. Right. Yeah. Right. And dogs are, if humans are sensitive to that, huh, dogs are like through the roof, over the moon, a hundred times more sensitive to those exchanges and that dialogue and that way of being. So how do people create that? How do they generate that extraordinary way of being with a dog if they're not, if they don't have the tools and the knowledge and the education? They don't even know that it exists, right? That they can. Precisely. I know it's it's a hard thing, and and again, unless we experience it or know about it enough to share with somebody, we're not going to be talking about it. So the conversation's not even started, it, which is another reason I wanted to have this podcast because there's so many little pieces to the human canine bond that go beyond just I got a dog that people don't talk about. And then we're seeing shelters across the country. Sadly, today, even now in 2022, and we're getting close to summer where it always gets worse, it's already really bad. Um, You know, I see it on a daily basis with, with the research and the homework and the volunteering that I do. Every major city has their shelters packed to the rim because, and a lot of owner surrenders are things like, oh, he just pulls too much on leash. He's barking and my neighbor's complaining too much. Or, you know, we're getting evicted. We can't take our dog to a new place. Lots of non-dog friendly communities now because landlords don't want to deal with the barking, the pulling, you know, and then the simple things that if we as pet parents don't pick up poop, then, you know, people complain and then there's a new law that goes down and they say, oh, no more dogs in this area. So I think we're missing the mark somewhere. And this idea of, of humanization, which um, I, I read, it says humans inability to not make everything all about them. That's, that's exactly right. If we don't stop that, this will never change for even all the beautiful dogs that had homes that are now on a concrete floor behind bars. I think it's just really important for our listeners and our audience to listen to perspectives like Sasha's and just ponder upon the idea that we can communicate with the different species. We have it in us. It may just be different than what we thought it's going to look like or be. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you is just to give us an example of of a family, a client who came to you with their dog, with with issues that you hear about every day that are very simple issues like the ones I've mentioned where people give up on their dog because of these issues and what you may have said to them that clicked and that they worked on it and it turned everything around for them. Absolutely. So I want to say first that all of the behaviors, 99.9% of all of the challenges and the struggles that humans face in direct relationship with their dogs are a result of us, which I think is really wonderful because it's empowering when you understand, oh, I am, there's something in my communication, there's something in the environment, there's something that's occurring that I have the power to transform, right? And so dogs do the best with the information that we give them period. Okay. This is a mantra. So we always, whenever our dogs are not showing up in the ways that we desire, we don't look at the dog. We look at, okay, how am I showing up here? What, where might my energy be? Where might my thoughts be? Where might my actions and reactions be that are causing this stress and anxiety to show up in my dog's behavior? And P.S. All of the undesirable, negative, inconvenient behaviors that we deal with with our dogs, um, it 
it, it really all comes down to stress and anxiety. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. And I've almost, you know, I've been doing my work for 25 years. I have thousands of clients. I've never worked with a dog and went, oh, this dog's, you know, behaviors are completely separate from the stress and the anxiety that they deal with. And the root cause of the stress and anxiety is a dog not understanding where they properly ideally fit within that family pack dynamic, right? Where is their where do they function? What is their best suited role in order for the pack to be successful and survive? And so as a whole, universally, with all of my clients, that is the great focus front and center always is looking at the pack, looking at the roles, looking at the communication. And when clients come to me with all of the issues under the sun, right, it is truly remarkable and profound. And people think I'm pulling out a magic wand or all of a sudden they have a magic (laughs) wand. And they're like, what is this? Why is this transforming so fast? Why why in one second was my dog doing this? And then two seconds later, they're, you know, a complete relaxed, peaceful animal coexisting in this time and space. And it's because you realigned the pack dynamic, right? That and that's that's priority for a dog. So when that communication comes into alignment and all of a sudden the dog is now given the opportunity to shine and be at their very best because we give them their ideal role in the pack dynamic and the humans who are the best fit to be the leaders and alphas. And I even get a little hesitant to talk about alphas because that term has been so battered and abused in common day. I mean, we could have a whole podcast just talking about that. (laughs) But the point is, is that when the human steps up and embodies the alpha leadership role in a language that a dog understands, that is where the magic happens. That is giving your heart to the dog. That is giving them the most loving gift that you could ever give them because it allows them to understand that they don't have to take the stress and the weight of the world on fulfilling a responsibility and a duty that they are not cut out to fulfill. But somebody, somebody has to fulfill those most important essential roles in order for the pack, that dynamic to be successful and survive. And when the humans can step up and embody that role, and I say embody because this is not about training. This is not about force. This is not about control or domination. This is about accessing an essence of a true peaceful leader. And that is a way that a dog completely understands an alpha to be, a leader to be. Not somebody that's walking around going, sit, go to your place, down, drop it, leave it. That's somebody that's showing up being very out of control and out of alignment within their... Interesting. Yeah, yeah. of course. Because it's even in our in our sounds, you know, there's oh. no need to, to raise our voice. You know, the fact that they understand hand signs, that was a, a big eye-opening moment to me years ago with one mm-hmm. of our dogs because... You know, I'm out and about, and if she's not listening, and I started to use my index finger, and it all it takes is me putting up my index finger, and she knows I need her attention, that there's mm. something I'm trying to communicate. And she's a pity Great Dane mix, about 70 pounds, big dog, but you don't want to be out on the street going, hey, Dublin, get over here, come on, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? or stop, or don't. You know, and she was really young when we rescued her, so she was rambunctious. But at some point, something happened. She trusted me. And I knew that I could get through to her just by looking at her. It was it was really interesting. It's, it's a whole long story. But those moments, you're like, whoa, I, I can do that. And you're right. There's an empowerment. Even, you know, f- for women, a lot of my friends and I, we've talked because I'm, I'm petite. I'm short. I'm 5'3". But I walk my pack of five pity mixes. And, you know, all loose leash. They all just hang out next to me. And my friends will see that. And they're like, how? I'm like, because it's just, I don't know. It just is. Uh, it's easy. They're just with me. They trust me. I've got them. 
there's nothing to worry about and we enjoy our walks. Because you're dialed in, because you're dialed into the energy and and you've established a sense of trust and um, and and it, it's all about the energy that, that you're putting out there. I mean, that's what dogs respond to. And when we talk about, you know, what is a language that a dog speaks? What, what is that? You know, when, when I say that to clients, when they haven't, you know, they're new to my work um, and I, I say, we need to be speaking to these animals in a language that they understand. It's like, well, great. What is that? Right? Yeah. They, everyone wants to know, what is it? What do you do? And I yeah. even don't know how to answer that because like you're saying it, it you're, you're dialed in. And, and I just want to give you an example of something because I see this happen to other people, but I don't know how to tell them to correct it because it just doesn't happen to me. But th- there's a neighbor who has four dogs. And whenever we walk by our house, we walk across the street from our house on a park. All her dogs come running out to the fence and they are barking their heads off. I walk with my five and mine will never bark back. They won't even look at them. We just keep walking. Sometimes they actually stop right in front of the house, even though we're across the street, and do their business. I pick it up. We can have a whole conversation with another neighbor if there wasn't the loud barking of the other dogs. But my dogs never bark back. I don't know how to tell people how to do that with their dogs because I just don't know. It just doesn't happen to me. Because that is a, those are symptomatic behaviors of a core misalignment. Those dogs are doing a job that they have been unconsciously given and they're doing it to the best of their ability. But what you see front and center is all of the stress and the anxiety that's manifested based off of what they're trying to do that they literally are not cut out to perform. But because they're human, and again, not good or bad or wrong or right. I mean, clearly it's something that ideally would be transformed for the health and betterment of everybody, right? Not just her and her dogs, but your experience and all the neighbors, you know, it could, having that transform would be a wonderful contribution to everybody that that lives in the vicinity, but it, it's happening for a reason. And so you can't, you can't, even if you approached her and said, do this in direct reaction to this behavior, you're not going to get a full on transformation because at the core of things, those dogs, and and that's the problem with like every single training, I wouldn't even say approach, but tactic that's out there is it's all trying to slap band-aids on, on bigger core issues. We're all trying to, right. Like quick fixes. Right. Right. And, and even in, even the quick fixes are, are approached in a way that a dog does not understand. So you're never actually getting any kind of a resolve or a trans, a full on healing or transformation around those behaviors because you're approaching it with, with ways that goes against a dog's natural understanding or flow, which is, you know, you get into like clickers and shock collars and, you know, and all the harnesses and, and all of the, all the gadgets, you know, all of the, the many tactics um, and devices that are now commonplace in our relationship with our dogs, which again, we could do a whole podcast on that. Um, But, you know, this going back to your, your neighbor, you know, it, it has to be, transformed from a core space you literally have to change the hard the hard drive right and the the dog's mind is is of the understanding that that's the job that needs to be fulfilled oh right because they do it with everyone as soon as anyone walks by right they all run out because that's their role and they've been allowed to so they they've so you're saying the human in that particular pack has said, go ahead, do that. It's okay. Because they never stop them. The door could be open, the front door, and they never come out to try and quiet their dogs. So I'm like, the dogs must think this is what we do. Whereas mine are like, what? What's that? Whatever. See ya. And we just keep going. So it's a double whammy in that situation. So A, the dogs are set up to do that. I mean, that's one of the most important components of a leader's role within keeping the pack successful is to protect the pack from danger. So, but because they are elevated into doing this job description that they are not cut out to fulfill, and clearly you see all of the dogs, it's like complete chaos. 
because there's no hierarchy, there's no alignment. So everything is up for grabs. And I would imagine those dogs end up getting into it as well, because there's so much stress and anxiety present with that chaos. Then they, that's where all that in like multi-pack fighting or reactivity occurs is just because there's no, there's no clear hierarchy. So everything is chaos and everybody's jockeying for position. So the dogs are, are bringing their stress due to the fact that they have to protect the pack from danger because clearly their humans are not showing up to do that. And then you see that, that excessive barking and the reactivity and the way that they present that's just, as I said earlier, the stress and the anxiety talking. That is not the authentic version of any of those dogs at all. It's their stress. Yeah, because they're not aggressive dogs. They're very sweet. Yeah. I've been around them without my dogs, and they're, they're totally fine. Right, absolutely. And then, of course, by the human not doing anything, not being able to show a consequence of action in a language that a dog understands, which is a vital part of communicating with them. You know, we have to be able to show a dog when they feel a need to to act on a behavior that doesn't serve them for the their highest good or the pack as a whole for a highest good. We have to be able to show a dog a consequence of action, but it needs to be in a peaceful way in which they understand. So, you know, punishing a dog, disciplining a dog, correcting a dog. No, because that doesn't work either. <laughs> that doesn't. Right. Th those tactics don't don't work either. They don't stick. And yeah, and people complain, I did it and it worked one time and then it never worked again or something like that, you know. But it's almost like I, I hear you speak and I feel like saying to my listeners, it's like we have superpowers and we're not using them as humans. It, we have all of the, the capability to have these beautiful, fluid, calm, wonderful relationships with canines. And there are so many that I that I see turned into shelters because there wasn't the understanding. You know, that's the part that, that's hard and why we, we advocate for adoption so much. But past that point of adoption, I advocate for proper communication, clear lines of communication with our canines, or we're going to go adapt and return the dog again because there's supposedly issues. So the, the, the issues really start with us. And um, I thank you so much for, for sharing this information because it's very eye-opening to me, um, who's a dog person, but I'm hoping that our listeners uh, will share with their friends, their family, or even just make it, you know, water cooler talk because that's how we learn and we get interested in, you know, just kind of looking into these matters and subjects a little more. Um, I wanted to bring up something else that I think is is huge, and no one has really talked about it in this way or, or mentioned it and in your profession. So I really want to talk about what a dog eats. And you have this idea that nourishing your dog and feeding your dog the best and most appropriate way is a main component of having them function at their best, and that will actually help us in return. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Oh, I'd love to. Uh, it's a huge, huge uh, passion point for me and and a, a component to this, this ideal lifestyle and this ideal, like, when we're here trying to give our dogs the very best, when we're, you know, wanting to set them up as successfully as possible, we have to look at it from all of the many layers. And being that my my methodology is holistic, that means that I look at every aspect, every angle, every layer of the dog. And what they eat does not just, you know, mean what their what their diet is, but it's what what is their environment? What what bones are you giving them? What toys are you giving them? What um, what what supplements are you giving them? What chemicals are they exposed to? I always say that dogs live the most toxic lifestyles, even way above and beyond humans. So you know, everything from the grass that they go and lay into and step on and then later are licking their paws that is laden with caustic, carcinogenic, you know, I think the statistic is like 89% of dogs and children that are exposed to lawn chemicals develop just unbelievable amounts of 
different cancers. And so, you know, just that in and of itself, the food that we're giving them, which is completely biologically and species inappropriate. I mean, again, we could have a whole podcast on this. We could. There's so much that really goes into, I mean. This is a, a big one for me. I'm huge on food and, and, you know, having a pack of six, I've had to try everything under the sun to finally find what each, some of, they, they all have, not all, but two have one diet, the other one has one diet, you know, because they don't all eat the same thing. They can't. It's a really deep topic. And the most important thing is, is that we really have to start understanding what is appropriate for what, what is ancestral, right? What, what do our dogs need in order to function at their best from a behavioral, a psychological, uh, environmental, nutritional level? How can we support them? And it always goes back to the basics. So when we look at uh, nutrition, most of our dogs, what is commercially available, they're eating a dry, dead food, which is void of any kind of vital or essential vitamins, minerals, nutrients. So essentially, all of our dogs are basically, we're, we're keeping them alive on this food, on dry dog food. It is what I call the most inflammatory offering. I mean, it's full of inflammatory ingredients. So from corn to grain, from mitotoxins to it's loaded with sugar. I mean, let's just get down to it. Like it's just complete and total the, the preservatives and the level of carbohydrate and sugars and chemicals that are added to these foods. It is it a wonder that when we look at the numbers of dogs that are the lifespan of dogs in 2021 to 1940s, <laughs> it's shocking. They they're living longer lives and why is that in the 1940s? Because commercial dog food was not present. What were dogs eating? They were eating what the humans were eating. They were eating like the scraps. Yeah, in the 1950s, when they started producing dog food, when they started processing dog food on grand scales, well, of course, we're going for the cheapest option. We're going for the fillers. We're going for whatever is left, you know, to, to make up a somewhat of a of a a decent food to i mean it's anything but decent but really to keep these animals alive this is not about thriving this is not about them thriving or creating an anti-aging formula that i mean dogs should be living actually till they're 30 years old you think oh absolutely everywhere you look nowadays you see these young dogs that are overweight they have dry eyes. They have very, you know, their their eyes are very dull. Their coat is dull and coarse. They're they're lumpy and bumpy and cysty. And and you're going, why why is cancer and canine diabetes the two leading killers of of dogs? You're going canine diabetes. What? Like how does that even happen? So we have to understand that all dry dog foods are created equal. It is not a biologically or species appropriate ration, period. It doesn't matter if you're buying Alpo or you're buying Origin or a $100, $150 bag of dry dog food. You know, that's why I'm in the process now of creating my own line of dog and cat food that is going to just knock the socks off of everything that's out there and so that it, it becomes readily available to people that also can't afford, you know, to be putting their their dogs on a very expensive raw diet, which. Right. And that's the big one. That's that's the big one. It, it's big. It's big. And I, I have so many clients that they want to be able to give their dog the best because they see the difference between, you know, if you have a dog that is suffering from very severe or really any degree of anxiety, which they all are. I've never met a dog and I've worked with thousands that was ever not dealing with stresses and anxieties, but some dogs clearly deal with it to a much more extreme degree. So you have a dog that is dealing with, with that. How would you expect to have a full transformation or healing around that anxiety if they're eating pure sugar every meal of their life? If they're being fed neurotoxins every meal of their life, it's not going to happen. So for that client that is 
struggling because they know that they, you know, they know what they need to give their dog to nourish their body and their spirit and to ground them instead of fueling this constant fight or flight inflammatory response, but they can't afford it. This is not acceptable in my mind. So that's why I'm creating a food that will be able to meet everybody's needs. And, you know, getting onto raw food, um, as I say, dry dog foods are all created equal. They are all not biologically or species appropriate and only lead to serious health issues, mind, body, and spirit. Now, when we talk about raw dog food, raw dog food commercially available products are not created equal. So most of the raw, when, when we look at a raw food and when we're trying to figure out what resonates best for our lifestyle when looking at transitioning our dog onto a very appropriate and nourishing formula, we have to be very conscious and aware of the companies that we that we feed. Absolutely. Yeah. And most of the raw commercial available products, they're sourcing their formulation and their ingredients are not on par. They're not up to what they need to be. There's very few raw companies out there that are really hitting the mark in all of those areas because part of this, you know, we have to be environmentally responsible. We have to be, you know, we have to be taking care of our earth while we also take care of our dogs, right? Right, right, so, right. Yeah, so it's important to be supporting and, and really have a knowledge and education of what is best for my dog, you know, what what is going to to set them up wildly, abundantly healthy for their life so that we're not seeing our dogs develop cancer at eight years old or 10 years old, you know, it's, but we have to, we have to address that not only from a nutritional standpoint, but from a psychological and behavioral and, and environmental, right? We have to be, we have to be creating the most wildly healthy experiences for our dogs from all of those aspects. Right. And I think that that we forget, you know, in modern day society, we just fall into this like, oh, this is labeled dog food. This is what we feed dogs. And some people don't think outside of that. Um, I, due to some previous allergies, health issues, I've even prevented certain surgeries by changing dog foods. And I know that it's not always the most cost effective. So when you have a pack, it's like, whoa, what do I do? But mm -hmm. um, I did have a veterinarian on in season one, a dear vet, Dr. Palm Quest at Sentinella Animal Hospital in Los Angeles. And he is, is holistic and Western. So um, he talked to me about food and he just said, you know, one simple sentence, he goes, look, at the end of the day, feeding dogs kibble dry dog food, especially some of the commercialized brands out there, is like giving a dog chocolate chip cookies every day their entire life. And when he said that, I'm like, light bulb, <laughs> you know, and I really worse. had started to look. Yeah, I had it's, it's started way to worse than things. chocolate chip cookies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't even want to know. That. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, um, there's these companies with human grade cooked food that then gets frozen and you can. So he suggested for anyone maybe that can't fully afford to transition to maybe start cutting in half. Maybe use half the kibble and get something else that's either raw or human-grade cooked food, or there are recipes you can cook yourself that have enough of the nutrients they need in order to, you know, just start offsetting some of those ailments and things. But when you talk about behavior, it reminds me, like, you know, when we don't feel well, something's off with us, then we drive and we have, like, you know, we're, like, honking the horn or, you know, you see people just, like, in a bad mood. They're probably not feeling like a million bucks that day. <laughs> so if our dogs don't feel like a million bucks, how can we expect them to be these happy-go-lucky, healthy, joyful, obedient beings when they're just feeling crappy and they can't even tell us they feel crappy? Beautiful. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for that. You just like, mm, you just hit it right. Exactly. And, and that's the beauty of them is that they, they're so removed from their discomfort. You know, do, I mean, you know, you, pities are, are one of them. You know, we talk about the, the, what they endure. And this really goes for a lot of dogs, you know, just the, um, 
the, the things that they have to endure, the situations that they're put into. And they're so resilient. They're so adaptable and they're so, and they're not attached to their pain and discomfort. So we have to be attuned to recognizing all of these indicators, right? It's like the indicator lights are going on all over, right? right. I mean, in, right. Their, in their poop, in the way that they are itching themselves and scratching and, and how they perform. You know, this is about performance. It's about how they, like you said, show up. And, and a lot of times we're just very uh, shut off. We've got the blinders on. We're not aware and attuned. And it's really time that we you know, we, we, can you imagine if we had a baby, you know, and, and the baby was like showing us the signs that like, they're not, you know, happy, or, I mean, we're going to be much more attuned to that, but it's more because it's in a language that we understand because we're human to human versus right. like, you know, a dog is, is showing us in different ways, but we have to, we have to be paying attention. Um, and, you know, it's challenging because, who do people go to? Where where do dog parents go when they're struggling? They go to their vet. Do I mean, do we open up this can of worms? I mean, I've been working closely with vets for well over half of my life, you know, over 25 years. And it's appalling. I'm appalled. It's horrifying. A lot of veterinarians don't have information. Um, I'm very selective. I've only had one on the podcast because unless I you know, can trust and really feel like the information is up to date or um, I don't want to just say holistic, but inclusive of everything, maybe, you know, these old school ways. And maybe it's not the vet's fault. Maybe they just didn't learn things or can't say things or suggest things because they might be held accountable if there aren't studies, if it's not proven. And then we get into that whole arena of information that you know, we're going to blame the vet if he says one thing and accountability, oh, it just gets messy. Yeah. And so in order for people not to feel like they're liable for something, they just don't suggest anything outside the box. Right, right. And, you know, it, it's very challenging for me doing what I do because, you know, I'm dealing in a world right now where dogs are just fed. They have behavior issues. Oh, pharmaceutical. Put them on a, an antidepressant. Put them on an anti-anxiety medication. We are literally giving our dogs our problems. And then we're we're not looking for core, real, authentic, true healing resolve. We're looking to put a magic pill onto something where we're not, as humans, we're not taking accountability. We're not taking responsibility. And we're not stepping into our best sense and version of our ourselves so that we can show up for our dogs that way. And, and going back to the idea that all of these behaviors that we're trying to, you know, create a magic pill for are because of us. You know, it's something that we've created, something that we've generated. So, um, you know, so for me, working with vets that are, you know, dealing with with patients that are struggling tremendously. And even in the the rescue uh, world, which I work with very in depth, you know, if the education was in place, if if and this is about human education, this is not about dog training. It's all about human human learning. If this was in place, if the vet would just say to these patients, like, have you ever tried learning about your dog? Have you ever tried to understand where your dog is coming from? Have you ever maybe thought about learning your dog's language instead of not even really connecting with the dog or the human, writing a prescription for an antidepressant that really just put, I mean, our dogs are walking around like zombies. They're not walking around like their true, authentic, beautiful selves, right? It, it's a it's a serious problem. and so. I mean, it's something that really, really deeply needs to be addressed. Talk about a whole other podcast, right? Whoa, exactly. (laughs) Because I cringe, you know, and I've, in all the years I've I've helped or worked with rescues who we, you know, I'm either doing a home visit or a home check or we're meeting the potential adopters and trying to make that transition for the dog. There have been a lot of nervous dogs, a lot of scared dogs. We don't know their past. And there have been a few people that stick out in my mind that took them to their vet. And the vet, the first thing was, oh, they think they should be on, yes, uh, calming their anxiety with 
whatever the name of the drug was. And I cringe and I go, oh, no, oh, no, how could we be doing that? I didn't know that vets did that until it happened to me the first time in rescue about four or five years ago. And the funny thing is most of the dogs, as I knew them before they went to their doctor, if you just went on a run with them, if you just took them out hiking and got them really tired and got all that energy out and were really active, that dog would have been a complete 180. And people don't exercise their dogs, which is another area I wanted to talk to you about. Do you think that some of the behaviors or problems or even what we see as little things but are big things for some pet parents are just lack of exercise, activity, and the dogs are bored? Really good questions there. Uh, Okay. First thing is that dogs don't have the mental capacity for boredom. Humans get bored. Dogs do not get bored. Okay. That's us putting the language on it, right? That's me saying bored because that's how I'm interpreting that. Exactly. Right. That That's a humanization. So it, it's amazing to me clients that will have a dog that is so off the charts, stressed and anxious. They're pulling the, the blinds off the walls. They're chewing holes through plaster and drywall. They're, you know, the, the human leaves to go get a coffee and the dog is ripping the door off of the hinges and they go through my program. So they would say, oh, that dog is stressed, but he's bored, right? He's just, he's, he, is he bored? And, <laughs> and so then the dog goes through my program, the human goes through my program and the dog is a complete, peaceful, relaxed, you know, the best version of themselves. And then the client says, well, do, is the dog okay? Like, is he, is he, I'm like, what do you want? That's funny. What is it that you want? Like your dog is, li-. and then they will say, oh, is the dog bored now? Because he doesn't. Oh, that's funny. Oh, it happens more often than you would know. So No, the dog is not bored. The dog is peaceful. Canines sleep on average of 18 to 22 hours a day. They reserve their energy for survival. Again, a whole other can of worms, a whole other podcast talking about the ways in which we set our dogs up for uh, this, this very again, humanized and again, so much misinformation out there about how much activity our dogs need during the day, how much stimulation, right? Like daycares, you know, oh my gosh, you know, it, it's, it's podcast. Uh, we have like six uh, podcasts. Going yeah, <laughs> it, it, we really, really do, my dear. Um, but the point is, is that, you know, getting down to it, Yes, dogs need healthy energy release. Dogs need to move their body like we do. But does working a dog's body exercise their mind in the way that it needs to be? No. You can run a dog into the ground. I work with lots of high-performance athlete dogs, bird dog hunters, police dog train, you know, canine units. I work with very high, you know, these dogs that are doing service, they have big jobs. They're, they're really like high performance animals. And so of course the understanding from the human perception is these dogs, you know, they're so stressed out when they're not working, working, stimulated, stimulated, stimulated. And then they say, you know, you think that that would like calm them down at home maybe for five minutes, but then the same inner workings of the mind are present. That does not go away. So you can, you can run them. You can, you can drive them into the ground. You can just until their, uh, their tongue is hanging, you know, and they're just exhausted, almost comatose and they rest. And then they're, they're fit to do it again, physically in the physical body, not the mental body. So again, we have to understand that it's as the humans, it's our job to create and design healthy outlets for physical release, for energy release. And I always say that that should ideally be done off leash in small, maybe one-on-one canine fun, you know, uh, play sessions. Or, you know, if you have a nice small group of dogs that where you can, you know, each dog and you know that they're going to be interacting and, and the, the positive outcome and the, the productivity as a result of that interaction will show up. But 
taking a dog, you know, on some hard run on padding on concrete, you know, every day of their life or bringing a dog to the, one of the most toxic environments that they could ever be exposed to, which are daycares on a, you know, two days a week, five days a week, any kind of a schedule. Like, I mean, I think dog daycare, that's a whole other, like, you know, a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not it's not a good situation. It's not a healthy situation. It can be very yeah, you really have to be careful with those. I haven't even tapped into that one, but I did take mine my very first rescue dog. You know, you don't know better, you hear things, you right. get recommended stuff, you try them out. She got very hurt by one of the other dogs because they throw one ball for 40 dogs. That was just disaster. And luckily, you know, we never went back. But of course, the daycare, you know, washes their hands and says, sorry, they recommended that we send her to training school that they offered. And I laughed. Oh. I said, really? Oh. <laughs> Thanks. Oh. <laughs> of course. Of course. Yeah. What, right. Good one. Now, good one. Good one. Exactly. <laughs> now, it's important, though, that like to know that dogs are very social creatures and they have to be given that opportunity to be social and to interact with their own species. But remember, and again, whole other podcast, <laughs> but as dogs are social creatures by nature, hardwired only within their own pack. So when we think about that, when we think about what is so for our dogs and then we think about what we put them up to like in our common day communities and societies and the way that we set them up we go every time we go on a hunt with our dog which i always say the the walk is a is a hunt for a dog it is they're always sniffing looking you know taking the world in have you ever known a dog that looked at their clock and said oh, look at that it's 9am time to go for a stroll <laughs> No, it's never happened in the history of dogs. Right. So again, when we when we put them in that kind of a situation, the only thing that they know is, oh, we're it's it's time for a hunt. And you can see clearly like by their behavior, by their energy, by their movement, by their body language, they are in they are in that mode because that's what they that's what they understand. That's what they're hardwired. So, you know, getting back to designing really productive, positive social situations where dogs can interact and they can play and they can release their energy. And it could be for five minutes or it could be for an hour or it could be for a couple hours. You know, it's like there's no. There is no set time. There's no set schedule. There's no regimented, rigid. Your dog has to be walked for three times a day for 30 minutes. That's a made up. That's a made up thing. Like dogs don't have concepts of time. They don't they don't need that kind of, you know, they, that just doesn't exist in their world. Um, and I think the more that we create those rigid schedules, I mean, keeping our dog on a schedule period is one of the most destructive things that we could ever do because they're creatures of opportunity and they have no concepts of time. Right. We're the ones putting this on them. And then we wonder, why are they anxious and stressed or confused? Because <laughs> we did it. Exactly. Right? You're blowing my mind right now. I'm like, oh, my God, I have to go home and like, you know, <laughs> but analyze my own. Well, and when you think about it too, and we're, we're jumping all over the map here, which I love because there's so much, there's so much to talk about here. But when you start shifting the energy and you start shifting the routine, because as we know, dogs have zero concepts of time, but they are absolute ninjas. They are wizards of association. So when they determine and expect and anticipate what's coming next, it's not because they've looked at a clock. It's because we create rigid time schedules and we do the same. We're, we're creatures of habit. So we do the exact same thing at the exact same time every day. We get out of bed. We did it. And then it goes from there. Right. Why do we think all of our dogs wake us up in the morning? Because a they're in charge and that's their job. And because they feel that, well, I'm doing my job. And then when I initiate that it's time to wake up, well, the human complies and therefore reinforces the fact that I am doing my job right by them and I'm in charge. 
And then that sets the tone of the day. So, and then it just goes on. It's like the, the domino effect, right? The snowball effect from there. So what happens then is that when we start mixing it up and when we start changing the schedule, we're literally just inviting our dogs constantly to be seeking out our initiation, our guidance, our leadership as the humans. So they're going, well, I can't expect or anticipate or dictate what's coming next. I need to rely on my human, the one that's best fit, to lead the way, to drive this ship, to guide the, to guide our lives successfully. But if we keep putting them on that knowingness, if we keep giving them the power to expect and anticipate, we are unconsciously giving them a role that they don't want to fulfill. Believe me, none of our dogs want to be the ones in charge. They don't want that. They don't actually. No, not not a one of it's, them. It's a lot of responsibility. <laughs> and that's what we're talking about. That's the core of what we're talking about. It's a, it is, like I said, it's the, it's not even a responsibility. It's like carrying the weight of the world on the dog's shoulders, right? It, it, it deteriorates their quality of life is what it does because they're constantly living in a state of stress. What does that do to a human? I would like our listeners to know that even if, if you do make mistakes, it's okay. As long as you're willing to learn and change and improve the relationship, you don't have to give up on your dog. You don't have to rehome your dog. There's so many ways to have a peaceful, calm, easygoing lifestyle with your dog, um, and the shelter shouldn't be the answer. You know, shelters used to exist or started so that you can go find your dog. The pound, the dog pound exactly. is where people went to find their dog. The fact that we use them now to go turn them in and surrender them is absolutely heartbreaking. It's it's beyond heartbreaking, and this is actually what I'm currently writing a book on: is the the lost language, the the disconnection of this sacred bond that is human to canine. So look at look at where we've come to. We're, we're not evolving. We're devolving. We're losing. Sometimes it feels that way. It, it really, I mean, from what I experience and what I see, whether it's shelters, you know, COVID happens, shel- shelters are empty, right? COVID, everybody, oh, you know what? I need an emotional blanket. I, ne- I need to feel better about my life and put all of my stress and misery about the fact that I'm isolated and I've lost my job into a dog. Oh, you know what? I got my job back and my life back. You know, I don't need this dog anymore. And honestly, you know, they're inconveniencing me because I don't understand them and they're acting out, you know, so look at that right there. I mean, that's just one of so many areas and aspects of our relationship with these sacred animals that we've got to we've got to bridge that we've got to really create the reconnection um we've got to start showing up for them and providing for them in in the ways that they deserve but that we deserve as a partnership between this is a very old old partnership right and um and we've been we've been coexisting for thousands and thousands of years but look what's happened right is we just we've lost the understanding we've lost the respect the value um, and the sacred nature of them you know co-partnering with us and we've got to bring it back and since you've told me that you're very involved with helping shelter dogs and rescues what is some of the work that you are doing for these types of doggies in these scenarios so in working closely with a lot of shelters across the country, and my hope is to reach everybody, right? But the important thing is when we change th- through the language, through using this methodology, not only in the shelter environment, but then educating the, the staff of the shelter and then educating the fosters and then educating the adopters, we are literally from a monumental grand scale we're changing the complete dynamic of what exists right now within shelters, within uh, people adopting dogs and keeping them in their homes and not just keeping them to, to get by, but so that, you know, but creating extraordinary relationships where th- there's just complete understanding and, and peace and harmony um, that exists. So it has to start 
at the core. We can make such a huge impact, but we're setting these dogs up through that misinformation, which is already a stressful environment at the shelter. They're just receiving this, this information that is, is not contributing to successful, happy, well-adjusted animals. And if we can just shift our way of being and shift the energy, it is incredible what can, you know, what results in that. So we're starting at the core and then it's literally like all of the tentacles, I say, like the branches that come out of this. If everybody is speaking the language and everybody is truly doing right by these animals from their perspective, right? Not just like, oh, I have this rescue dog that's been abused and neglected and they're so fearful. Let me just treat it like a child and try and like make it be my best friend. Like, no, that's not, that's not helping that dog like in the long run. So, you know, just being able to really like change our understanding and, and the way that we set these dogs up, it's, it's going to change everything. Oh, absolutely it would, especially if you're talking about helping, you know, uh, management in a shelter, if they are open to allowing their volunteers and their staff learn this way of communicating, you're building a much healthier environment within what's already a tough place to be for dogs and sometimes for humans because it's the experience can be so emotional. But if we're walking into a peaceful, harmonious shelter where music is playing, where all the dogs are not barking, that's a different feeling than walking into this loud place where all the barking echoes. And that's why people don't step into shelters sometimes. So, oh my gosh, fingers crossed, because that is a wonderful way to start to change the landscape of shelter facilities across the country. And our listeners should know that it is possible. It is not an impossible goal. We just have to take action. We have to want to do it and participate and be open to the idea that things can change. They don't have to be the way that they are, especially if they're not working. Exactly. I wanted you to tell us real quick about the kinds of programs that you have at your location and that you also do phone calls and virtual consultations, which I have to admit, before 2020, I never thought of a virtual consultation. But, you know, here we are doing this podcast, and I've learned that they're amazing. You can get so much out of doing a virtual consultation with about uh, with your dog and about your dog. So tell us a little bit about that for our listeners who might want to reach out to you and learn more about Canine State of Mind. I never thought in all of my many years of doing my work that when basically we were forced to, in order for me to connect with my clients, I had to go virtual. Um, I I never thought that it would go <laughs> go that direction. Yeah, right, right, yeah. With that being said, I have been, and it has been to my surprise and to my absolute, I mean, uh, it's so wonderful and exciting how hugely profound and beneficial it has been for so many clients. Just being able to connect. Um, I have clients all over the world. And so through my virtual programs, the incredible transformations that are taking place have just been, it just is mind blowing to me. So I want to just hit on something really quick too, that all information is not good information. So Going back to what I said, most of the information that is out there as far as how to train your dog or if you ever see tips on what to do, this is not a sustainable long-term solution. Um, you know, committing to an educational process, creating to a, pro, you know, committing to a program and really picking something that resonates deep in your heart for yeah, this is this is really what is going to be best for me and my dog. If there's any like question of like, oh, uh, like I don't know about this or I'm not feeling so, that's a great indication that your intuition is telling you that not to make that investment because at best you're not going to be really getting much out of it. And worst case scenario, it's going to put you on a path where you're not going to be successful and you may end up doing a lot more damage and harm than 
than good. So I just, I always ask, and everybody that I speak to, whether you go with my program or any other program, that let it resonate in your heart because this is a very important investment for your time, your money, your mental health. I mean, it's, it's very important in all of those areas and you have to feel not just okay about it, but you have to feel great. You have to feel great about that. So with that being said, it's very important for people to, to know that. So Beyond my virtual offerings, um, I consult with clients worldwide in home. Um, So I have an in-home transformational program and the details of that are on my website. And then I would say my creme de la creme, my most sought after program is the farm educational process um, that takes place on the front end at my property. And then, of course, the back end of that program is the humans learning and education. So that 50-50, you know, that that process of the marriage of the two, the two educational experiences coming together that really creates the magic and creates a lifelong, sustainable, you know, extraordinary relationship. Right. Oh, and it sounds beautiful out there, by the way. Um, How long is the program? Are they different lengths depending on what the client is seeking to have? Yes. Yeah. So I have a a two-week, a three-week, and a four-week enrollment. And that depends just really on the needs um, and the desires of the client. And this summer, uh, end of July, early August, my first foundational e-course will be launching, and it's going to be incredible. So please please get on my uh, my mailing list and you'll get updates. Great. Well, I encourage everyone to, to check it out. I mean, I've seen the pictures on your website and it just looks like a, a peaceful sanctuary that I would want to hang out in myself. So congratulations on this amazing work that you do, Sasha. Um, can you tell our listeners where they can find and follow Canine State of Mind? Absolutely. My website is caninestateofmind.com and that's C-A-N-I-N-E. And then um, I'm also on Instagram. Okay, great. I will have those live links in the show notes for this episode so anyone can easily scroll down and connect with Sasha Armstrong at Canine State of Mind. I also want to let our listeners know that I am not getting paid to advocate for any organization or individual on this podcast. I choose to interview guests that I know are doing the good work for dogs and for people across America. Thank you, Sasha. I could keep you here for another hour. It's just so fascinating talking to you. And, you know, it just gets my wheels turning. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I encourage everyone to take a look at her Instagram page and follow and learn as much as you can always, because it will not only just help you, but it will help our canine companions. Thank you, Sasha, for everything. Thank you so much. I hope this conversation has left you with some food for thought and a fresh perspective on how it is possible to lead a happy and balanced or peaceful life with your canine companions. And if you already do, then we say thank you. You are a walking example of what is possible when we seek to be in tune with these smart and amazing canine beings. As Sasha mentioned, we brought their species into our world, into our societies and communities. So it is our responsibility and an honor to give back to them in all of the best ways that are a priority for them. Set them up for success. And I'll ask you again to ponder upon this question. What do you think your dogs would say about you given how you live your lives today? And be honest with yourself. If you do need any help or guidance, even a little bit, then don't hesitate to ask for it. Reach out to Canine State of Mind, no matter where you are in the country or the world. Follow their social media pages or ask me to connect you. Thank you for listening to this episode. Please press subscribe on our podcast and tell all of your dog-loving friends about it. Until next time, hang on to those leashes. The canine condition. Come, sit, stay. Stay.